Down the Barrel starts now. Howdy, howdy. So we're back again this week, folks, with uh, Adam from CZ. How you doing, guys? Good to be here. Uh, ben from MAG. How you doing? And uh, Michael Stone from UBC, as well as the CUSF. Hey, guys. So, yeah, um, as always, super appreciative for our sponsors. So we'd like to thank uh, Cabela's Outdoor Fund. Um, yeah, been supporting us almost since the get-go. Um, so super appreciative for them. So make sure you round up every time that you go to Cabela's. Uh, Beretta, so super excited to announce that Beretta has signed on for another year again with us. So um, big shout out to them. And yeah, if you're looking in the market for a shotgun for a pistol, make sure that you consider Beretta there. Family owned since uh, 1576, I believe. Oh. Um, got Vortex, so great veteran owned company. Um, yeah, real appreciative for Vortex's sponsorship. So uh, big shout out to them and as well as Savage. Yeah, supporting the industry in Canada, um, making rim fires out of their plant in Lakefield, Ontario. So great to see them giving back to the Canadian sports shooting community. And yeah, big, big shout out to Savage for helping us out, uh, giving us some guns as well as cash. So yeah, well, uh, Michael, what, what you got new for us in guns this week? Well, I think the most exciting thing was actually just announced today. It's the new uh, CZ 600 series. Um, so CZ is replacing all their uh, 500 series um, bolt action center fire rifles with the new 600 series. And probably the most exciting of the bunch is the CZ 600 Trail in 223 Remington. Uh, this is going to be a non-restricted in Canada, and it's probably the best um, like bolt action AR equivalent that we're going to get. Um, competes directly with the uh, Black Click Back. Black Creek Labs MRX, um, right around that same price point, just over a thousand dollars, and the build quality looks you know, like incredible. You get the uh, telescoping stock, uh, 16-inch barrel, M-lock handguard, all the bells and whistles. It looks really beautiful. I'm excited to maybe buy one. So, yeah, good stuff. I think they're gonna, yeah, like the competition has no, no like nothing on this. Fuck, you got your marketing uh, done for you there, Adam. All right, guys. Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. Yeah. Keep keep running, man. Go through the models if you don't mind. Sell those features <laughs> and uh, finish off with with price point, right? You always want to close the sale with the uh, with the price. And, uh, have a great night, guys. Take care. Yeah, we'll get into it more later. There's a few of them. Yeah. Awesome. Well, exciting and very relevant for our guest this week. Um. Well, new at the CUSF, so uh, beyond giving out some prizes for our uh, October Fall Classic, as well as our uh, league competitors, it was nice to see. Uh, yeah, we had like five different clubs compete in both trap and skeet, so good to get some activity in that front, as well as we have, uh, we're up to four clubs competing in our uh, ORPS Rimfire Series. So uh, yeah, nice to see some action varied across the country. Um, as well as from the high caliber side of things, we had uh, our first mentor hunt. So uh, Michael was there for that. Why don't you give us the down low on uh, what happened? Yeah, so we were uh, very fortunate to have uh, ACM Outfitters um, take four students uh, out to hunt uh, in Delta, so in the lower mainland of BC. Um, 
and yes, yeah, so it's a private scouted farm that they provided to us, um, like blind setup, dog, decoys, everything. Uh, there was four hunters and like sort of two uh, guys supervising, and we almost limited on ducks, and we got about a dozen geese. Uh, it was an awesome day. It was just nonstop action. You know, we were like the longest break between shooting was maybe 30 minutes. It was um, just Damn. incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm used to hunting in the swamp, you know, public land, where it's just like hours of sitting around and tromping through the bush and seeing nothing. And just having wave after wave of birds come in was so awesome. So, uh, yeah, awesome experience. Really enjoyed it. Um, uh, Clayton with ACM Outfitters, I couldn't recommend him enough. He um, has an awesome setup. He's based out of, I think, like Abbotsford, Chilliwack area. Um, but he does hunts all over BC. So, highly recommend Yeah, well, fucking awesome dude, considering uh, the price point, you know, helping uh, the students yes. out take. The amazing price of free. I uh, really, um, I mean, I would almost consider paying $300 to just do that again because it was such a good day. Um, yeah, just, it's, when it's like guaranteed to be a good thing almost, it's, that's so much better than just the, <laughs> Sitting around in the swamp, getting wet, not seeing anything, which is most of the time here. That's that's half the fun of hunting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but, really a nice covered blind, just having the birds come right to you. It's pretty nice. So, yeah, I know I was talking to Clayton as well. And uh, if you're a veteran, be sure to sign up with him. He takes vets out uh, every Remembrance Day for free, and he's got uh, a wait list for that. So um, be sure to hit him up. And, yeah, big, big shout out to... Uh, ACM for helping the students out, helping the, the fellas. Yes. So awesome. Well, yeah, glad it was a great experience all around. Yeah, I hope we can do that again. So, alrighty. Well, Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, man. Me or my sordid past? What are you looking for? Bit A, um, bit of B. I guess I'll keep it, keep it pertinent to the firearms industry. Um, but I've uh, been a member of the industry for about almost 10 years now. Um, started basically where I met Ben at Target Sports Canada, working on the range as a range officer. And sort of that's kind of what I did for two years solid, five days a week, eight hours a day, just going on and off the range, taking new shooters. And, um, you know, that was one of the things that like, you know, took my shooting from like an entry level sort of handgun person, like to a much higher level of, of ability. But it also really gave me um, like a love for the shooting industry as well, because, you know, day after day of introducing people to the firearms community and doing it in safe and in a really fun manner, you know, it, it's kind of like celebrating birthdays every single day, really, you know, um, I was fortunate in my time there, um, which overlapped Ben's quite a bit. That, you know, there were never any incidents, never any issues and, you know, going to work every day to quote unquote play with guns and introduce people to it was awesome. You know, so that's that's kind of where I cut my teeth and I really started learning. Um, I got into the industry like very shortly after getting my license. Um, I'd actually been taken to Target Sports by my girlfriend to go and like just try the walk-in program. And up until that point, I didn't even know that you could own handguns in Canada. I knew about rifles and I'd been shooting rifles sort of my whole life, but you know, the handgun game was sort of non-existent. So, you know, the first moment I walked in, it was kind of like a kid in a candy store experience. Um, and then once I tried that, I got my license. Once I got my license, I just happened to be changing careers, jumped into the gun industry and, you know, I 
guess I've been I've been here since, you know. And BJ can I guess talk us about his time because uh, when when I started there, I was working on the range. BJ had more of a uh, more of an important role, like I was just kind of like a meat shield, and Ben was sort of directing traffic a little bit more. Um, so if I I can pause and let him talk a little bit about what his role, or you know, just kind of carry on with with me for the next fifteen minutes and everything I've done. But um, no, I, yeah. I really enjoyed hearing about how you became such an expert shooter while we're. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen these skills to be honest with you, but you know, maybe one. <laughs> I don't remember using the term expert. I said I think I said my abilities were quickly improved. No, for sure. We all had the um, the really fantastic opportunity of working every single day, you know, on average 40 hours a week, full time paces away from a firing range. So, you know, we'd be able to take range guns out, you know, our own guns out. It was like, instead of, uh, you know, taking five minutes for a coffee, you can take five minutes on the range and, you know, go put a box ammo down range. And like to get that access to training, I guess, you know, even just going out and practice, it was really valuable. So I think all of our shooting skills, you know, greatly increased in our time there. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to see such a wide variety of people come through the door. You know, we got to get to work with so many different people, you know, people who had shot for the first time, people who, you know, thought they were experts, some who actually were pretty good at what they said they were. And, you know, it was just a, a very dynamic and interesting environment to work in and be a part of. And, you know, by the time Adam got there, I don't know exactly where I was and, you know, exactly what I was doing. I think it was mostly still range officer stuff, but I was transitioning into the the membership director side okay. of things. And, um, you know, I touched on this briefly the last time we spoke, but to put it simply, it, it was herding cats. I got paid to herd adult cats with firearms and keep them responsible and, you know, teach them how to essentially follow the rules of the range and, you know, just politely say, Hey, you know, this is the way we do things here. And, uh, you know, these are the rules and this is why kind of thing sweep the floors and just put out fires wherever needed. But it was a really great environment. Honestly, we had such a great time together and I attribute that all to the people I was working with. Um, I met really like some lifelong friends out of that position, some really cool people. So I owe a lot to that, uh, that job and more than just my enhanced shooting skills is <laughs> Adam. More, more than your gun witness. <laughs> well, I, I, I feel like that's that's like the half half the battle at every job, right? Is like yeah. uh, it doesn't matter what you're doing, fucking if you're working with a good bunch of folks, then you're gonna have a good time. If you're working with uh, people you don't like, then you're not gonna have fun. No, exactly. definitely. You know, and I think working at a gun range, you know, as fun as you know, we're we're all pretty young in terms of you know everyone. I think is pretty much over their twenties when I was there. So, but young adults, at least, you know, so we're having a lot of fun, but there is always that element of safety and always that element of risk. And, you know, having a cohesive team that you know is going to watch your back and potentially save you was, was a huge comfort as well, right? Because you might be on the range with a group of five people and then your partners are doing the same thing. And now you have 30 people on the range. And although thankfully nothing ever happened really during my time there, um, you know, the potential is always there for, for someone to accidentally or knowingly cause harm, right? And, you know, we were a cohesive team or we were a close-knit team and, you know, everyone needed to rely on each other. And, you know, when I go and visit dealers, um, you know, not one of the 
the fun, more exciting things I talk about, but, you know, talking about the reality of having a safety plan, having contingency plans because of what we do, you know, and um, after working at Target Sports as, as just like a range officer, I kind of climbed and clawed and cheated my way up the ranks a little bit to lead range officer and, and instructor. And now I'm sort of training staff and leading staff and, um, you know, kind of finding that balance between working at Disneyland and, you know, working at heights, let's say, or, or another potentially dangerous job, you know, because, you know, I think, A, you need to be personable and gregarious enough to introduce people to something that's quite an intense first experience, especially if you've never been in the same room, seen a gun, heard a gun in real life. Um, you know, and one of the, the craziest things that I always noticed or one of the things that was crazy to me and kind of Ben can talk about this a little bit more in his current role, but, you know, we're so conditioned and inundated by movies and by TV, our perception is, is completely false for most people. So when you walk in and you see someone pull the trigger on a live firearm and fire a nine mil for the first time, you know, you see those misconceptions like disappear immediately, you know, and usually it's a people are having a great time and it's a smile, but it's usually that uh, OF moment where it's like, oh, I didn't expect that. You know, that's not what it's like on movies. And, and then they're looking to see where they hit on their target and they realize that five meters they've completely missed, right? And there's that sort of other shoot them up mentality that, that Hollywood or that movies in general have created is, you know, everyone just bang, 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 and you're hitting it. And people really start to realize the difficulty and the the skills required to actually be proficient be a competent marksman or marksman so that that to me was like a really cool aspect of the job but um i think after that ben we we both fell into funker too very soon yeah. after um like ben ben's basically my work wife um <laughs> we've had a chance to do like a lot of really cool stuff together um he's he's my junior he's considerably younger than me even though he doesn't look like it but that's my skincare regiment that i do religiously but um he, he's he knows a ton a ton about firearms and i've, I've honestly learned like a, a shit ton about him about guns kind of at his side and, and not just like your the the firearms you sort of experience day to day in Canada, but you know, about a lot of unique things and a lot of historical pieces. He just he just got an incredibly wide range of knowledge that annoys me because he backs it up with a fairly decent trigger pull. And uh he's getting a little bit embarrassed, which is fine. He's my buddy. But um, you know, after that we we jumped into Funker Tactical, um, which was kind of like on the media side of things, and Ben was kind of working the camera and I was kind of doing the sales thing. And uh, we got to do a lot of cool trips together and meet a lot of cool people and get into some somewhat scary situations here and there. Um, and then- Yeah, um, so what what specifically do you guys do for Funker? I carried cables <laughs> and stapled targets and uh, Ben was the cameraman. Oh to yeah. Put it, well, well, yeah. Kind of a simplistic view of things, but- yeah. It was a mix of like things, you know, like product like, reviews and just like what's new in the world of firearms type shit. Yeah. So there would be, you know, like we got to talk to companies and, you know, deal with product and choose product and get things shipped and, you know, have flights booked and go places and do things and have meetings arranged. Um, and that's, that was the kind of thing that, you know, Adam and our other partner, Paulo were really responsible for. And I held a camera and I took pictures and videos of the whole thing that, that was more along the lines of it. But through that, we, 
you know, we each covered for each other's duties. You know, there were many times that we had Adam holding cameras and editing videos. And, you know, we were all sort of part of a, again, a very cohesive and very well, well gelled team, I'd say. And it really led to some fantastic experiences and like some- You know what I was thinking about recently, Ben? I don't remember where it was. I think it was Brazil, but you were like taking, you were videoing a course and you were helping us clear the line. And there was that really tall guy who only who only had the one hand. Yeah. And he dropped the slide on BJ's finger, like as he was doing his safety. <laughs> so this guy was probably like six foot three, six foot four, with BJ's hand stuck in his gun and no other arm. And BJ's got like a five thousand dollar camera in his other hand. And I'm just watching them here do this dance, trying to figure out how to rack the slide back. Well, the issue is, okay, so first of all, this guy, you know, one arm is completely immobile. He had it damaged, you know, as a child, and it's, he can't use it. It's, it's pretty much tucked up. Wasn't he shot as a child? Shooting. Sorry? He was shot as a child, I think, wasn't it? It was a if really I bizarre accident. Exactly. He, there was a firearm accident when he was about three years old and apparently got shot and experienced some, some nerve damage. You know, that, that's the best I can recall. But um, he shot amazing, though. He was, he was a boss on the range. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, never the safety mind. checks um, were horrible. Yeah. So, anyway, he, was, he was great. And we got to work with a lot of, you know, he was a great example to teach one-handed manipulations to. And, you know, a lot of people got a lot out of that because there was a lot of police officers there. There was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, more special forces type of guys there that are working for particular units um, throughout Brazil. And this guy, I, I think he was a civilian. And he came to the course. And so anyways, he's got one arm that's completely immobile. I've got one arm that's completely immobile. And, you know, we take the course at a certain pace and stop and go, okay, we're going to do a safety check and make sure the guns are clear and put the gun down. So we're walking through and I go, oh, I'll give him a hand. And I stick my finger in the gun because he's way up here. And I'm going, okay, you know, I can't see the gun. And I go, can you bring the gun down? He doesn't speak English. We're not really communicating. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get this done the quick way. And I, I reached up and I put my finger in like an idiot and he closed the slide at the exact same time. And for about a minute or two, the two of us are standing there. I'm going, you have to open the slide. He's looking at me going, I'm assuming I can't open the slide. Look at my other arm. And uh, it was a, a fun moment for us on the range. It took, uh, took us into a nice break after that. <laughs> now, in complete fairness, I will admit my first ever holster course taught by a friend of ours, Loader, I did the exact same thing to him. Well, it's contested. He says I dropped the slide. I said he hit the, the release. Regardless, his uh, finger got stuck in the gun and, and we, you know, we had a kind of moment of intently looking at in, in each other's eyes while we decided what to do. And then I realized I should probably just rack the gun back and get his hand. <laughs> yeah. you know, happens yeah. to the best of us or the most handed of us as well. But. But yeah, after after Funker, um, I, I got a quick question. Uh, Funker Tactical and Funker Five Thirty related at all or no? Origin stories and then parted ways. Okay, okay. But I think when I think of Funker, I'm thinking of like videos of like you know ISIS turn up blow up tanks that kind of thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So I, I guess we should define it. So there was Funker 530, which is kind of like the combat videos and all of that stuff. And then there was Funker Tactical, 
um, which is GN, um, who does all the camera work and he would support different instruct, they had instructor roster. So like Doug Markaida, Instructor Zero, Brian Hoover, and, and a bunch of similar sort of guys of a varied background. And okay. um, Funker Tactical was sort of the umbrella in which they came together and shared content. Gotcha. You know? So we would act as dummies, cameramen, bag holders, coffee getters, and whatever else basically kind of was required at that point. Right. No, no uh, Afghanistan or Iraq trips that I said. No, no. <laughs> that was not our handiwork. Yeah. Well, that's thanks for Michael for asking the question. That's what I was fucking thinking. Because that, yeah, that's exactly what I knew fucking Funker from, too. Yeah, Funker 530 is, uh, you know, very uh, real and, uh, you know, very combat focused, whereas Funker Tactical went in more of the direction of. Uh, I guess training to put it broadly, you know, it would be training and uh, uh, products and marketing and things of that nature that are within, you know, a similar interest of space, but not the same thing. Makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, that's you know, it's we're about halfway through now, kids. <laughs> All right, keep going. Keep going. Okay, so um, I think I did about a year. Of traveling the globe with Funker Tactical. Um, and I got a ton of really cool experiences and, and really cool stories. Um, but it was kind of an or unorthodox working environment to try and actually make money on sort of the business end. Um, you know, and I was trying to buy a house at the time. So I had to kind of bite the bullet and find uh, like an every man's job in a sense. So I uh, jumped on board with uh, the guys from Firearms Outlet Canada um foc they're like one of the top stores now in the country and um actually we pulled a bunch of guys from the target or from target sports kind of came over and when i joined there we were just sort of three four guys in a small shop and um you know we hustled and we kicked a lot of butt and we worked all <laughs> a lot of long nights and long hours and you know it was it was had a really good team because everyone kind of complimented you complimented each other on their skill set and kind of like what you're going through right now, Dave, you know, being sort of a, a one man army at times and having to, to sling it and get it done. And, you know, we just, we just push, push, push. And in a very short time, you know, everything kind of exploded for us and ended up moving into a new store and getting pretty active in the community. Um, then came sort of TACCOM, which was, you know, one of Canada's largest gun shows to date, um, which was an awesome experience. It was put on the, by the team over at FOC. Um, and so I spent about four years kind of working there. So I, um, I guess maybe maybe give us a bit of the background on the on TACOM. So FOC started that? Uh, yeah, so TACOM kind of grew out of uh, an idea we had for our grand opening in our new location. And, um, you know, we, we know we wanted to have like a big grand opening because we were in a new store and tons of square footage, super modern. Um, just really nice, you know, a hundred foot pistol counter, you know, we have a ton of guns on the wall. So we wanted to do something big and something grandiose, you know, and it kind of spitballed into sort of uh, a show in a sense. And I think the first year we did it in our warehouse space, um, we had maybe two dozen vendors, you know, a lot of our distributors and manufacturers came down. Um, I don't know. Was Meg there that year? I don't think you guys came that I, year. 
don't th- I wasn't with Mag at, at that point, but no, I was no. there. I don't think Mag made it out to the one that was at. No, York. I don't think so. But um, anyways, we had about five thousand people come through our location in a weekend. You know, cause a lot oh, of training wow. games and Ajax. Um, you know, lineups around the block, and it would just it was a winning format. You know, people loved it. We had a uh, museum there, and they so they brought in a lot of the prohibit stuff and machine guns and historical firearms. Um, we had a seminar series component, you know, Vortex came in and uh, some of their pro team was there doing uh, instructional sessions on how to mount a scope and like, you know, differences between um, mills and MOA and just basics kind of like that. And, um, you know, it's it sort of snowballed from there. And uh, the owner, Fred, uh, he doesn't do things in, a, in any sense small. And, you know, he thought because we had such good success in this one area that we might as well swing for the fences. And we took it to the, um, what is it called? The Metro Convention Gosh. Center, the Convention Center out by Pearson Airport. And uh, I think we had roughly 18,000 people come through the doors for that show. You know, and it was oh, wow. success. And unfortunately, COVID has, has put the brakes on it. And the May 1st OIC has definitely put a dent in it, into it because, you know, Canada, as you guys know, it's, you know, there's a lot of mom and pop sh- uh, shows going on. And that's sort of like the, the main component when it comes to shows. There's not a whole lot of big sort of American style, as I'll call gun shows. And I think the first time that I went to SHOT Show, I was with Ben. And, you know, all we could think of is like, man, this Canada needs something like this, you know, and wouldn't it be incredible to bring this sort of professionalism where it's not, you know, and don't get me wrong, I love my old timers, but, you know, it's not just an old timer with his table that he brought from home and, and a couple Mosins and a couple SKSs and lots and ends and makes a bullet. So, you know, we wanted a, a really professional show and Fred and the team at FOC really Kind of brought that to life and not only that but the like the whole community was basically fundamental to it because you know it was a long shot no one had ever tried to do it before we were really close to toronto which is sort of the nexus of anti-gun world and um you know we had everything kind of working against us but you know the the venue was agreeable the cfo was agreeable and then um our suppliers really jumped in to support us you know um and, and, and I think, on, and, sorry? honestly, that's that's a that's a big thing. I feel like a lot of people don't realize. Like, right? People, people like to hate on fucking like oh like, uh, the RCMP or the CFO or blah blah blah. But I've I've had nothing but like positive things to say about the RCMP, the CFO, the City of Calgary. Anybody that we've tried to deal with in the firearm space has has actually been awesome to us. So I mean, you know, I, I, again, I, I, you know, you're in it long enough, and you'll have a very varied experiences but you know a lot of life as you know is what you give right and I'm, I'm kind of a sweetie pie and that's how I treat people and I tend to get my way but you know I've, I've had great help from the CFO and I've had some terrible help from the CFO but um, in in the case of TACOM they, they were pretty agreeable in, in making sure that we were licensed as a gun show to make the licensing process a little bit easier and of course this is pre-OIC so the ATC, um, ATC. The uh, ATT laws were a lot more favorable for people and, you know, we could enjoy AR still. And, you know, I envisioned uh, a a black gun show, basically, like modern sporting rifles. And that's where TACCOM, the name comes from, the tactical and competitive um, shooting sports show. Um, 
you know, because we have the outdoor show, which is awesome, but it's, it's more outdoors and hunting themed. And over the years, it's become less and less and less firearms inclusive, you know, and they're kind of getting relegated to the back end. Uh, so we wanted just something for the sport and recreational shooter. And, you know, like I said, I hope it, uh, it was a huge success. And I hope once COVID kind of settles down that we'll, we'll see it for another year because, you know, these events, much like the CUSF, we, we need these opportunities as a community to really come together, uh, break bread, realize that regardless of what our disciplines or our interests or what firearms mean to us specifically, you know, we all share a common interest. And uh, the sooner that we can get on the same page and really work together, the stronger we'll be as a community to represent ourselves to the rest of the world, right? And I think that was really important about TACOM as well to showcase um, a professional level show that wasn't sort of um, an anti-gun nightmare in perception. You know, there was zero incidents. You know, we had a lot of police presence um, just because of the volumes of people we had and because of the nature of what we carried. But, you know, I had a walkie on me the whole time. There was there was not a single issue during the show. Um, unfortunately, though, I believe um, Corey from Coat of Arms did lose a camera bag, which was unfortunate. I think he put it down and someone picked it up. But that's human beings. That's anytime you get a large yeah. population of people together, there's going to be a couple D bags mixed in there for flavor. Um, but you know, like I was saying is, you know, our, our community needs these opportunities. It needs these podcasts. It needs people um, kind of like you guys who are creating opportunities for people to really share their viewpoints more so than just kind of bitching and moaning on Facebook and social media, you know, arguing about what triggers lighter or what platform reigns supreme in XYZ situation. Well, I, th I think the, the big thing I see is community building, right? Like the more, uh, more you get people together, talking together, hanging out together, like like actually creating that sense of community, the more people are going to want to join our firearms community and, and get sucked into it, right? Like, you, you, I, and I'm sure all you guys have experienced it, right? You, you bring somebody out for their first time and it's it's all smiles and laughs after they pull the trigger, right? And get rid yep. of their initial fears. So I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day, right? Well, well, you know, I I have a, a good friend of mine's a social worker, a youth and social worker, and you know, he and I wax philosophical about the problems of the world, and you know, his 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 reply to me is always, "That's why we have to invest in in children. That's why we have to invest in youth because you know they're pliable. You know, they will be the next generation." Sorry, I got a a very angry dog that I'm not paying attention to him. Um, but anyways. Um, and I think the, the firearms community is the same. If we're not actively growing our community and, uh, you know, I talk to my dealers and they tell me there's PAL classes full all over Canada, coast to coast Canada, butts are getting in chairs and doing the CFSC course. And that's awesome. And that's great. But our community is historically, or at least by my experience personally, we miss that first step where you can really introduce someone and really guide them. You know, I find we have a lot of old wives tales in the, in the industry. And as I get into the hunting world, I'm a novice hunter, you know, so Mike, if you got room on a guided hunt, I will pay gladly for someone to help me along. I'm, I'm in a, a knowledge vacuum when it comes to uh, hunting. But um, as I was saying, like, if we're not creating opportunities for people in 10 years, you know, we'll be stagnant and there will be no gun community. And that's why, you know, as much as like me as an industry representative, 
I deal mainly with the dealer network. So the, the gun stores that you guys are visiting and I support them. Um, you know, if my job and my focus stopped at making a sale to them and just stocking product on it, you know, I'm not really securing a future for myself, right? I, I need to have a job for another 20 years or 30, God forbid. So, you know, I'm always looking for opportunities, um, especially in my new role to, to create these opportunities in the, in the community, you know, and the CCFR does a lot of great stuff, you know, with the ladies day programs and the range days and, you know, the CUSF is an absolutely awesome program. And I think in terms of what some people think is actually happening on campuses and them becoming sort of so-called liberal bastions where, you know, any sort of right or conservative views or anything about firearms is persona non grata. I think, again, introducing the sport to people is, is necessary to bring people onto our side. And, and I, I, I'd imagine you guys would all be in agreement. Oh, 100%. Totally. I mean, UBC just ran, uh, we're running two sold out uh, PAL courses in November. We run more next year. So usually we run three or four and then maybe one or two uh, core courses, which are like the BC uh, hunting course. So we're generating like, you know, 15, 20 uh, new new PALs every year at UBC. And I mean, that feeds our club and, you know, gets people out of the range, new members. And it makes makes safer shooters too, right? And it, yeah. Well, there's so many disciplines in the shooting community that if you don't have anyone to expose you to them, you have no way of trying them or experiencing it, right? Whether trap and skeed or cowboy or IPSC or IDPA or PRS or rim fire PRS, like, you know, there's just so many different disciplines out there. And, you know, you could really spend a lifetime trying them all. I don't know if you you need a couple bank accounts probably but uh, <laughs> yeah i tried to dabble in each one a little bit and yeah, yeah but you know I, I love seeing that the community has really changed in the last five years i would say and it's becoming a lot more and i don't want to use the word because it's got so many connotations right now but inclusive you know we're becoming yeah. a lot more open and unfortunately we're being forced out into the limelight in terms of the legislation that's being brought up against us and being the target of public um, opinion, we're, we're sort of obligated to represent ourselves um, and be open to, to the rest of the community, you know, and to the rest of the world, really, at least and, as it pertains to Canada. And I mean, I, I, you say unfortunately, but I, I, I look at it as an opportunity because now we have the opportunity to, to showcase what we're doing. And it's, it's not like we're, we're not being truthful or or showing people the full picture, we actually just get to expose ourselves and get the media attention that uh, hopefully gets gets taken away from some of the more negative aspects of firearms ownership, such as gangs, violence, suicides, etc. Like, because um, just just last week, a gal from the University of Ottawa asked me to to do an interview for their school newspaper, and again, right, it's like a huge opportunity for us because we can get the club at University of Ottawa restarted through the publicity that they're willing to mm-hmm. uh, to give us for free, right? So, I mean, at least there's there's always two sides of the coin. So, it's uh, as long as it's presented in the right way to folks, I feel like people people can be allowed to make their own decisions, and I mean, hopefully, see uh, see what we're doing is is not so bad after all, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and, and, and you're right. Um, you know, I shouldn't say unfortunately, it's just, you know, 
I, I, I'm indoctrinated by that distrust of the media. You know what I mean? And even though I've, I've done some interviews um, for other news agencies and they represented me well and they represented me honestly, and I've done some for others and it hasn't been as awesome a, a portrayal. Now, that being said, it's definitely skewed towards the better. But um, no, you're right. You know, like kind of like that conversation we had when you mess up with with a customer and, you know, you're, you're sort of backs against the wall. Then, you know, this is where you can really show people what your intentions are and, and what your character really is. And I think as a community, we really need to do that. Um, and, you know, you guys tell me because you're you're of a different generation, not to be super old on you guys. But, you know, maybe things are a lot more harmonious. Uh, at your level than than what I came up in in the gun world, basically, where you had a lot of, you know, like I think you can still say the sports shooters and the hunters. There's there's a big rift, but what I'm seeing is there there's a lot of crossover now between communities, you know. So for me, like I'm a sports shooter, recreational shooter, and now I'm going into the hunting community, and I think the younger people coming into the community are finding sort of. Uh, a way through both, you know, and I think that's going to bring us in the more people who do both recreational shooting and actual hunting. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that we're going to see a rebirth and a, and a strengthening of of the firearms community before we get legislated out of existence, <laughs> which I don't I don't I personally won't believe won't happen in, in completely. Um, but like, you know, now is the time, like you said, you know, now is the time to get out and really represent our, our best foot forward and, and show people what our what we're really about and, and how fun we have or how fun the community can be. Oh, exactly. I mean, <clears throat> I think, at least from my personal experience, it's all about who you surround yourself with, right? Um, when I was in university, it was all like sports shooters, recreational shooters. So I never did any hunting. I moved back to Calgary and fuck everybody I hang out with now hunts. So now I hunt. So, I mean, but I, I take people that have never hunted before and, and I mean, I've been mentoring new hunters. I helped my buddy shoot his first deer before I shot my own first deer. So oh, nice. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, I think the, the more and more you facilitate people exploring their interests, right? If somebody has an interest in hunting and they don't have a family background in that, why, why should they be limited by not knowing where to go or not having the permission or whatever, right? If, if we can open those opportunities for them and let them experience it for themselves, I think it'll, it'll speak volumes to the reason why it's so popular with some of the older generations right like people people get a lot out of hunting which I, I can understand but i mean i never i never did until i actually went out and tried it myself i think you make a good point in in that it, you need to find a shooting activity that fits in with someone's life for them to really jump on board with it you know and if that person's uh you know had the itch to go hunting since day one and you know, they want to fulfill that and they do that and they have the time and the place and the, the resources to go out and do that. That's going to be a part of their life forever. Um, you know, some people, I think shooting doesn't really have a place in their life and that's fine. Um, you, maybe they've gone to the range, they've tried it and said, hey, I don't like this. You know, other people want to go every single week and practice with the Ipsit crowd. And, you know, everybody wants to shave tenths of a second off, you know, their times and their scores and they want to, you know, figure out the best way to game that particular stage, whatever it is. Um, I've always been a big believer that 
everybody's got sort of an activity in there, you know, whether it's skeet shooting or long distance precision stuff or it's rimfire, you know, plinking or whatever it is, fast or slow, short distance, long distance. I think the key is finding an opportunity for someone to participate in a shooting activity that fits with, you know, their, their lifestyle and what they're capable of doing on the regular. And once you find that you're hooked, you know, like that, that's a hobby that you're going to continue doing for decades to come as long as you can. Oh, I think it, it speaks to a bit earlier, what Adam was saying, right? There's, there's a little something for everybody. Exactly. So, I mean, there's, there's so much out there. It's like, you, it's pretty hard to try all flavors of shooting unless, unless you want to drive yourself broke. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that fascinates me about firearms so much other than, you know, the, the engineering and the skill involved is just as a human evolution of, of, of technology, it's just such a completely polarizing object. You know what I mean? And if everywhere you go in the world, there are so many different associations that people have with firearms and and they range into such extreme categories, you know, and I find that like really interesting, like even for me as a firearm owner. And if you ask me, like, you know, Adam, why do you own firearms or what do firearms mean to you? You know, it's it's not an easy question to answer, per se, or it's not that it's difficult. It's just not a simple answer, you know, but. On one end, like I like shooting, I like the skill involved, you know, um, I like the excitement of it. And these are all like very kind of surface layer, but you know, they're also, you know, feelings of this is our history in Canada, you know, this is this is the history of our ancestry, this is um, the historical aspect of it, or there's the survival aspect of it in the terms of, you know, putting meat on the table or the security aspect of it, you know, which is sort of part of what our neighbors to the south is fundamental to them. You know, so to me, it's like a, as a human object, firearms are, are kind of really interesting from like a social perspective, you know, and I've always been curious to um, to ask people like when I meet them is like, why do you shoot? Or like, you know, what, what got you into firearms or why are you into firearms or what do firearms mean to you? And, you know, especially talking to people who have had no exposure to them and understanding what it is means to them, you know, and what is their real exposure to it? You know, and I was at sort of a hunt, I was at um, a hunt camp a couple weeks ago going after bear unsuccessfully. Um, but some of the people there, you know, harvested a bear, killed a bear, however you want to phrase it. We had a dead bear in camp and I got to see it broken down, you know, field dressed and, and processed basically. And it's just, you know, I'd never seen that before, at least with a bear. And how many people outside of that have ever seen, you know, a chicken breast before it's processed and put in the cellophane package, right? And for me, like hunting is really interesting because you have that intimacy and you have that appreciation of food, you know, and I did a, a guided hunt recently um, for pheasants because I've been skunked way too much in my hunting career. And a friend of mine wanted to go check it out. So I thought, why not? Let's go. It's a hundred bucks for a day. Let's go shoot some birds. Uh, and it was the first time for me processing like game birds. Like I've done duck before, but pheasants, you know, you do the step on the wing and it's, it's, fairly grotesque for most people. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you can't really appreciate your food until you've seen it from field to table, really, and uh, at least in my opinion. And I think, again, that's a really unique human experience for us living in this part of the country for a lot of Canadians who never get that intimacy with their food or never get that experience with animals 
being processed into something that you throw on the barbecue later, right? And I think if more people had opportunity to that, you'd really consider more what you put in your body, perhaps, or you'd really consider, you know, the meat industry or how animals are treated or how what farming practices are. Because, you know, the, the majority of the hunters I met are, you know, honest, caring people who, you know, while there is the thrill of the hunt, they, they don't fetishize it. They're not out there to kill animals. They're out there to fill the freezer, you know, and provide food for their family and themselves. But um, it's interesting how many levels it, it exists on, you know, for a single person, let alone for, for every human that's ever encountered or will encounter a firearm. And that's, that's my philosophical take for nine o'clock at night over in in Ontario time. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty interesting too, in terms of like the, at least I find it's a very primal, um, not urge, but it's like very fulfilling to be out in the woods, looking for a deer, for birds, whatever it is, to bring meat home for your family, right? There's something that activates uh, different circuits in your brain that's uh, not uh, not going on uh, necessarily all the other time when you're sitting at a desk, right? So mm. it's uh, a lot to be said for it, but well, why don't why don't you walk us uh, a little further down the journey into the uh, distributor slash manufacturer side of the industry? Okay, so yeah, after um, after FOC, I joined another Target Sports <laughs> member. It's kind of like Target Sports was like a jump off point for a lot of people in the industry, at least working on the range. And to be honest, as fun as it is, it is somewhat grueling, you know, to be on the range all day, the the concussion, the lead levels. Um, well, that's that's a that's a great, I guess, almost lead in question. Sorry to interrupt you so soon, but I guess like so if I was, to, uh, let's let's say uh, 18 to 21 year old student and wanted to get involved in the firearms industry, what's the what's the best way to get my like cut my teeth? You know, it is it is it is a great question, and it, it is a hard industry to get into. Um, but you know, at the at the dealer level, like finding good quality people who have their pal has has historically been a challenge. When I was doing hiring at FOC, um, you know, I kind of relegated myself that I would hire someone based more upon their character than their firearms knowledge. You know, because I could tell I could teach you most of what you need, right? A little bit of reading on your own side, but I can't teach people how to really be go-getters but you know talk to your local ranges talk to your local gun stores they generally have events they generally need people to volunteer and it's an awesome way to kind of get a foot in the door and kind of showcase your skills um i know like at foc we were we did quite a lot of events there that was sort of one of my one of my hats and i used to do what i call like uh, industry spotlights and i'd bring in manufacturers and i'd bring in notable people in the industry and i'd let people come up and touch them and ask them questions, basically, and, and expose them to it. Um, and a lot of the volunteers that I needed and who worked with me eventually became staff. Um, you know, check, talk to your organizations, you know, CCFR. They're always looking for field officers, the CSSA, um, you know, even the NFA. There's the CUSF. So there's a, a ton of organizations out there that really need bodies and, and really need dedicated people. And if you're if you're really sincere about getting into the industry, um, you know, maybe a psyche valve second guess that. But otherwise, if you're still, <laughs> if you're still into it, um, you know, a great way is like a, a walk in program, what's called a familiarization program or a walk in program. Um, there's about 10 maybe ranges throughout Canada that do that. Um, that's an awesome way to do it. 
uh, volunteering at one of these organizations events as like a range safety officer or as a ticket person or whatever help is a great way to get in the industry and you know that's traditionally where me as a manager would hire from that pool right i would you know usually would be a customer who would kind of spend a lot of time in the store um bring your counter guys and gals coffee if you really want to know the secret to the gun industry it's caffeine so if you're looking for that five percent discount on that gun you really really want Take 12, man. Bring a take 12 in for the team. Bring coffees in for the team. Um, you know, <laughs> customer service can be a grueling job. And, uh, you know, that one customer really makes your day, but it ingratiates yourself, you know, and that's what I do with my my customers. You know, the dealers are always bring them in get goodies. And to be honest, I've had uh, a number of dealers recently ask me if I know people in their area. So if you're looking to get into the gun industry, um, you know, Make sure that your handling is on point. You don't have to be an expert. You know, you don't have to know everything there is to about guns. The wonderful thing about the community is there's always shop talk. There's always someone willing to take you under their wing and teach you. So, you know, I came in as a complete new, you know, I was still shooting like based on my martial arts practice, which was like super bladed and like 1982 SWAT until my buddy loader, like, what the hell are you doing man like this is how you hold it this is how you shoot this is how you you stand basically you know and so you know if you're if you're don't let your experience hold you back and if you're a hard worker there's talk to your local gun shop they're always looking for good people to at least help out and um talk to your organizations because they desperately need volunteers yeah i, uh, I agree I think the, the stores and the ranges both are really really valuable if you're looking to to learn more um you know the hands-on experience that you get working at a store and at a range and if you're lucky enough to have those two things at the same place uh it's invaluable you know you get to see the end result you get to see the guns come in you get to see them you know put price tags on them sell them to a customer make that transfer fingers on them first <laughs> yeah exactly you know, when there's this new big product launch you know you get it the night before and you get to look at it and go okay cool do i want this or not um there's a lot of upsides to it but really like that's how it worked for us you know we got lucky enough to end up in the same spot at the same time we got to see you know the distributors come in and talk to the store we got to see you know the customers walk in and buy that gun that we just spoke to the to the distributor about and ordered and went hey you know people are loving these let's get five more of these you know people don't like this that so much let's get this accessory you see so much like working in a firearm store it's invaluable and then to actually see it and use at, on the range, you get to see customers, you know, using it and going, oh man, this thing really hurts my thumb or these night sights are great when there's light, but I can't see anything if it's a little bit dark or, you know, I love these shooting glasses, but after 20 rounds, they get foggy, whatever it is. Like there's so many different things and you go, oh, okay, well, that's good to know. And like, okay, you know, bank that little piece of knowledge and it's really, it's the best place to go. So if you've got a range or, or a store uh, and you're into it at all, I exactly what Adam said go help out bring them some coffee just you know take up a few minutes of their time to let them know you're a cool guy and you're interested and I, I think it'll end up benefiting you in the long run honestly coffee and donuts got me my first range membership <laughs> three months a bad way to go probably hundred dollars worth of coffee and donuts but every other week I'd go by drop them off hey guys how you doing yep me again just here to fill out another application and 
you know, finally they got sick of me coming and weaseling around and they just brought me on board. Then I had to start it all over again to get my club level yeah. safety, you know, and this is kind of what I was talking about before is how our industry misses the boat because we can get you into the class, but getting you from the class onto the range safely and with the proper technique is where we've traditionally failed. You know, so the first time I ever went out onto the range with my own handgun, A, there was nobody else on the range with me, you know, and I had that sort of going for a swim in the ocean with no one around you, like, oh, geez, I hope, you know, God forbid something happens. But there was no one there, like even on my club level safety, and maybe because I challenged it, I missed that step. But, you know, I've taught club level safeties and you do get some hands on, but you're in a classroom of 20 to 30 people potentially. And, uh, you know, it's the, the machine's got to get you through your course. But what I was saying is there's we need to develop this, not only just introducing people to it, but what are the next steps? You know, and one of the things that has traditionally frustrated me about the Canadian industry or the Canadian community is our lack of enthusiasm as it relates to proper training. Canada has like incredible, incredible instructor community ex-military, ex-law enforcement, ex, you know, Olympic shooters, ex-competition shooters, current, all of those. And, you know, in kind of true Canadian fashion, they're a little bit humble, they're a little bit under the radar, and you got to do a little bit of digging uh, to find them. But I found the culture of going out and getting training hasn't really existed up until the last couple of years. We're now, you know, black badge courses becoming even more popular, but sort of that other style of training or tactical style of training is starting to kind of pick up speed and um you know i always encourage people to go and actually spend the money like you know working into in a store you see a lot of funny kind of purchasing behavior we'll call it you know people are people and people will do with their money as they will and i support fully that but you know if you're going to spend a thousand dollars on a pistol and you're going to spend five hundred dollars on a couple cases of ammo Spend two to three hundred bucks on a professional who will show you and actually make you a more proficient shooter, which is going to give you more enthusiasm and more reason to get in. You know, and whenever I work with um, new shooters, which is one of my favorite things, and actually now that I've sort of escaped the consumer cycle, I'm not customer facing as the corporate world works say. I don't work at the point of sale. I work kind of discreetly in the backgrounds now um behind supplier so i'm the manufacturer's rep so really the only time you'll see me is like at these kind of events like pokeroo in a sense i don't know if you guys know who pokeroo is BJ, you know no no, right? no clue what what the fuck is pokeroo <laughs> really <laughs> that's insane i i don't, I don't think, i wouldn't even know how to describe pokeroo but anyways um, you know, one of the things I enjoy most of going to my dealer events so I can be back on the counter and it's, it's like, you know, if you're a professional athlete, not to compare what I do with what they do, but you know, you're going out for the simple sake of you enjoy the community, you enjoy the topic, you enjoy the hobby, the lifestyle, you know, and I love talking to, and like, now that I don't deal with end users seven days a week, kind of 24 hours a day. I'm like so much more relaxed and calm, but I, you know, it, it's given me back that real enjoyment of, of getting down into community and really talking to people. And those are the people I love working with most are new people because I feel like I can give them, you know, a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of proper instruction, even though it's 
could be across like you know if you're standing in front of me it doesn't matter if we're at tim hortons or a gun store i can give you grip stance sights trigger pull you know and i can send you on your way with a couple exercises and you know the suggestion that you come back to me and bring your your target and we'll talk about it you know and from a customer service perspective that's incredible customer service i would shop at that gun shop all the time um for me it's kind of like me doing a little bit of good work because like i up until working at target sports you know I, I never really had that so for the first year of shooting um although coming from like a rifle background you know pistol was like a weird and wild thing and i just couldn't get the hang of it you know again i was doing everything exactly wrong you know instead of saying you know and i still kind of laugh about that and i still talk to my buddy loader who you know he was one of these guys who really took me under his wing and he taught me a lot and like ben took me under his wing and, and kind of taught me a lot about something that they were super passionate about and when you're super passionate about something you can you can instruct and you can guide and you can encourage people in a way that you know the lady at the dmv doesn't really get to enjoy her interactions with her customers you know so we always like to create a community sense of the gun store like your your local gun shop should be like your barber shop you know what I mean? You should know your their names. They should know your names. And, um, you know, just remember that behind those pricing or behind that issue that you're facing, there's another human being you're dealing with. Right. And like I said earlier, whew, you come hot out of the gates. That customer service might not always be there. Right. <laughs> the one thing I do love about the gun industry is there's very few companies with HR departments, you know, so you can kind of cut a little bit loose. And, um, you know, I love that sort of let your hair down attitude. Obviously, professionalism is key and crucial. But you're coming in hot. <laughs> you might be a flash in the pan and you, your problem might not get solved, unfortunately. But Adam, that, that reminds me, I've got an email from a customer here that says his uh, shadow shooting low and left. And he needs <laughs> to do something about that. Definitely needs new sights. <laughs> Definitely needs a new trigger kit. But what he, he really whole, needs is a whole bunch more ammo too. Whole bunch oh, yeah. more ammo. But you know, most ranges will have some kind of intro course, you know, and that's you know, everyone wants to, you know, I've dealing with, you know, people get a pistol, they hear about Ipsic, I want to go shoot Ipsic right now. And you know, I'll never say don't go and do it, but you know, it's not like again, whatever you do, whether it's ballet, shooting, martial arts, baseball, hockey, whatever that, you know, it it's we're so fixated on results that we really miss kind of like learning and the fun about things, you know? And if you've ever seen new shooters shoot, what is like one of the most telling things that they do? Um, and it's funny cause like I've kind of gone back into like boxing and stuff like that, trying to get my, uh, my <laughs> physique back. And I find myself doing it is just like focused on, on what your end results are, you know? So a new shooter will do this and then they'll, look to where they shoot and then they do this and then they'll kind of look to where they shoot. And it's a perfect metaphor for how we approach skills and how we approach learning in this part of the world, right? We're so focused on where that bullet hits and how close it is to bullseye that one of the most common advice I give to people is, is showing them a target and say, look, I'm looking at your target and what I'm seeing is consistency. Now you're consistently off center, but you're consistent and that's what we're building upon right now and it's a lot easier to take someone with a, a decent grouping that's lower left or lower right or whatever and bring them up to center than to take someone that's sort of checkered their their target you know so fundamentals are key for sure but you also 
one one note of caution is that not everyone who will take your money to teach you how to shoot is going to do so well or even safely in a lot of cases. Um, and that's not to say that there's a large number of them, but you got to be you do have to be wary when you are working with firearms in a training environment. Um, so, you know, go to the good instructors, go to the guys that your friends have gone to, go to the guys that are recommended by your local gun store guys. Um, you know, don't just find some Facebook ad and sign up for some random guy's course that you've never heard of. Cause I've seen some absolutely abhorrent training methods and some things that have been done on ranges by instructors that I've been present in that, uh, you just have to walk away from, you have to recognize it. And as a student, it's difficult. You know, you might've paid this person some money and you might've spent your Saturday or Saturday and Sunday, whatever you might've driven a long distance, spent your money. And you're now, you know, a day into this course. And this instructor does something that, you know, kind of makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Like it, it takes a lot to walk away from that. But at the end of the day, like, you know, trust your gut. And if something's not feeling totally safe, feel free to walk away. You know, you've, you have every right to not stick around for unsafe practices. Uh, that all being said, I would say 98% of the instructors I've come across show no signs of this. It's, it's by far the minority, but it is a serious thing. You know, people can get hurt, people can get killed all because of someone's negligence and, you know, someone's self-perceived ability to teach you how to shoot and how to operate, you know, a potentially very dangerous item more special, more faster, more better, more like the special forces or JTF2, you know, whatever they want to brand it as, um, you know, some guys are better than others. Most are great, but be wary. Reminds me of the, uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys have all seen the video of the, the fellow that's showing uh, people how to shoot the first time and NDs and then just plays it off like it's fucking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you meant to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the only people I take my training from. <laughs> you like you know, to go to back to your initial question, like there's there is a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, a lot of people don't assume the gun industry is as large as it really is. Um, I don't think anyone really knows exactly how big it is, but there are in and around 50,000 people employed in the firearms industry. There are firearms manufacturers in Canada. There's a, an incredible instructor community of every discipline, whether it's trap and skeet, IPSC, tac tactical style shooting. Um, you know, then of course you have your dealer network, which are all your local gun stores. Some are brick and mortar, some are online, um, you know, and uh, they, they kind of run the gambit in, in size and in expertise. And, you know, I've been fortunate to have visited a lot of gun stores in Canada and, and most of them are filled with awesome people. Sometimes weird, sometimes quirky, but generally awesome, awesome people. And the, the thing I love about it, you know, even though I say, you know, I had a hard time kind of figuring things out, you know, my first time on the range here and there, you know, everyone's like, oh, have you tried to shoot this? Have you tried to shoot this? Have you ever done this? Come on over. And, and you know, I remember one experience, we, we had a horrible time out on the, um, on the skeet range and we were finished up and in, in eating eating our uh traditional breakfast uh, as we do after each failure and just talking like man we just you know what we need is like some kind of old timer to come over and just really show us young bucks the rope and like you know sure enough the thought comes out and this old timer appears asked to sit down with us and i'm talking like you know sweats 
sandals. We ended up calling him Trap Jesus because he was just amazing. And, you know, we start chewing the foul with him and we tell him how terrible we are. And he says, well, shit, like, you want to come shoot around with me? Okay. And basically he took us out, you know, he said, stand here, point here, you know, see, and he had a, a million old man sayings that just made the whole event even better. Um, <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner was one of his uh, favorites. But uh, man, did he not have us up and smashing doubles like within five, 10 minutes, you know, and we still talk about it. And, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to I completely forget the guy's name because this was a couple of years ago. But Trap, Trap know, Jesus does it justice, I think. Trap Jesus, you know, he came down and he blessed us with, with a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of know how. And it, it yeah, as, as long as you didn't die for your sins forever yeah for me you know is what is what he really did and, you know that's like our sports a sport of repetition right it's it's rounds down range and it's it's good rounds down range especially too you know oh, uh, consistent training right it's a perishable skill for sure but that's a beautiful thing about it right like what you know and i ask a lot of people this too because it was something that was always asked to me by instructors why the hell are you here you know, what are you doing here? What do you hope to gain? What is your goal? What, why, what brought you into this class or into this situation? You know, and I love asking people that. And, you know, me, like, I would say, like, I'm kind of like an everything shooter, you know, and lately I've been plinking around with my 22 at my buddy's property, shooting cans and whatever garbage is around and just kind of getting, like, getting back to those good old days of playing shitty in the streets sort of thing like that. Just actual oh, yeah. You know, shooting for no other reason but, you know, can you hit it? And and kind of like playing uh, like horse as we shot, you know. And now that I have a decent 22 and my work somewhat demands of it, getting into the, the Rimfire PRS is something I'm super excited about, and super excited to start kind of learning about. And, you know, for me, um, you know, I've always been sort of a quirky, small guy. So... <laughs> Having uh, being humble and being able to have some self-deprecating humor has just allowed me to like really be an eager student, you know. So I love going to to get training from different instructors. I always start out at the foundation course, like whatever their intro course is. I start out with, um, you know, even though my shooting level may like now garbage, but you know when I was regular like intermediate shooter, like. Say so myself. Oh, CZ will be Intermediate proud. shooter, somewhat <laughs> fast, somewhat accurate. Not all the time. But I always start with foundations, you know, because like I always believe the, the doubles and the details of your foundations. And most instructors organize their courses in a progressive fashion. And if you really want to get the most out of your instructor, and you know, it's like any relationship, you got to learn to communicate with each other and you have to learn to figure out what the hell are you each of you were saying so I like to kind of start at square one and you know that way when I do class two or three I'm not undoing all the bad behaviors or stuff that I normally do I know what's kind of expected of me whether they want my foot this way or they want my arms this way you know and I can kind of get the most out of the class now I might drop 90 percent of what I'm taught in the class because I do it a different way but it's that sort of 10 percent that is is worth that weight in gold, you know? But unless I kind of, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard an instructor say whether whatever, like come in as an empty cup, unless you come in 
and you can kind of be like, okay, I don't have to hot blade or I don't have to be a showboat or I don't have to show everyone how wicked awesome I am with my gun. And you just kind of sit there and learn and figure out what this guy's trying to get you to do or girl's trying to get you to do. You gain so much more out of the course. And like for me, you know, parting with my hard earned money isn't ever an easy task. And I want to feel like I'm getting that value out of a course that I, you know, not only money, but time as well. Because usually in Ontario, at least, you're driving, you know, up to two to four hours to get to a range that can accommodate whatever you're doing. And then you're spending, you know, 10 hours to 12 hours on a course. You know, that's a lot of time for a person and that's a lot of money usually. So my, my encouragement is to people to get training and, and go into a foundations class, even if you are, you know, John Wick. If, if you're starting with a new instructor, start the basics and see, like, again, how do you, how do you critique or comment on something if you don't have a good picture of it? You know, whereas I've been in courses and I've taught courses where you might be teaching a particular technique that applies to a particular context specifically and tell them, oh, that doesn't work, or I know this, or it's, you know, there's one in every class, you know, but I found, you know, that one person is usually outweighed by the nine or 10 other earnest people in the class, but, you know, it is a male dominated industry at this point and it is an alpha male industry so you know don't be afraid to kind of be a beginner again and don't be afraid to sort of shut up and listen and, and do what's being asked of you without the all oh, my 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 instructor told me this or my buddy told me this or this is how i've always shot you know and that's that's kind of my best advice you know I that's for after class it's the uh humility and curiosity right yeah, and like I said, you know, like being on the counter and talking to people, like talking to end users or customers or just the members of the community again is, you know, like it's it's enjoyable again for me. Not to say that I was at a point where it wasn't enjoyable, but, you know, when you're managing a large retail location and you're dealing with a lot of the issues, like, the, you know, I was the fireman there in a sense, putting out the fires. You know, it's it beats you up a little bit and it makes you a salty, salty pirate, you know, and... <laughs> Towards the end of days at FOC, like there were a couple times where you wouldn't want to catch me with a complaint. And you can go on YouTube right now, or you can go on Google right now, and you will find those Adam is a jerk uh, reviews that I wear as a badge of pride. When but, I met him, he didn't have the pirate beard either. That's no. <laughs> Retail has made me arguably much more. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, to kind of wrap things up, you know, I, I after left FOC, I worked for uh, Amchar Canada, which was a Glock supplier. So from the store level, like up into the supply chain or distribution chain further up the river. And that was awesome because, you know, A, I don't have to deal with customers anymore per se. Not that that isn't lovely. Um, but, you know, I can really work with dealers and really sort of support the industry directly. You know, and by industry, I mean like the, the dealer industry. Um, and because I've, by this time now, I've, you know, I've been on the range and I've been on the retail and I've been on the management side and I've been on the event planning and team building side. Like I, I like to think I have a bit of a unique viewpoint or perspective of the industry. And, you know, I'd like to say I haven't run into every scenario, but, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a customer complaint or an issue that I haven't bumped into at least once or twice, you know, so it's nice to sort of be able to kind of lend that experience to the dealers um they're pretty savvy they know what sells they know what they want to buy so 
you know, I don't have to be such a cutthroat salesman and what I like to think of myself. And I don't know if this kind of sounds arrogant, but it was uh, advice from a, a friend of mine who was actually the Canadian sales manager for Yeti. So he's got like a real, real job in the corporate world. Um, and before I started working for a distributor, because, you know, like any normal human being, I had my doubts whether I'd be able to take on a role of this nature. And, you know, I, I my territory was all of Canada, you know, so it's a lot of customers. It's a lot of things to keep track of. And um, he kind of saved my soul and he told me, that my focus shouldn't be on sales, which it never really is. I'm a terrible salesman, but to become a trusted advisor, you know, if you can become your dealer's trust or, or your customer's trusted advisor, the sales happen organically. But, you know, for me, my the important part was to me is focus on the growth of my customer. Right. And that's kind of how I, I do my sales pitch. If I make you money, you're going to turn around and shop with the guy that that helped you make that money. And that way I don't have to be underhanded. I don't have to force sales on people. And it's just a way that I can kind of exist without, you know, sales quotas and sales numbers and things sort of turning my life into a really stressful situation because like I said, I came from, I came out of the trenches, man, came out of the trenches on the ranges, you know, and it's so funny <laughs> to me because anytime, um, and here's, here's the, I'll tell you the best part about being outside of the commercial aspect of things is that I'm an absolute savage online right now because I, <laughs> there's nothing people like a, a customer cannot affect me anymore. You know what I mean? My boss is 6,000 miles away. You know, you can't leave my store a negative review. Um, you, you really can't leave me a negative review. You know, if, you, if you speak, um, check, you know, give it the old college try. I'd love to see what you got to say. Uh, better people have come before you and failed. Um, but it allows me to really defend that as dealer network, you know, because I think with dealers, like from a consumer perspective, you know, when you exist in a modern context where you have Amazon, where you have Costco, where you have Walmart, where you have Home Depot, and where you have these big box chains where you can really just kind of run amok and get your way. And I glorify my my days in doing that. I love, you know, sticking it to some poor Walmart employee or some home schmuck <laughs> in an apron. Um, you know, our dealers really take a lot of guff. And, you know, when a customer looks and they see like Glock, for instance, or they see any gun, what it retails for in the States, and they look at it and it's, you know, $300 more up in Canada. You know, a lot of people think, oh, these dealers are, are hosing us, you know, or, or we're really, you know, being taken for a ride here. And the reality is that's not the case. You know, obviously the gun stores have to make a profit. It's not a dirty word. You know, people should want to support the local gun stores because they're the ones supporting the organizations, supporting the ranges, supporting the competitions, supporting the events and really supporting the industry as a whole. And, um, you know, they're not just a bunch of fat cat venture capitalists, you know, the overwhelming majority of gun retailers, other than Cabela's, other than Canadian Tire, are mom and pop stores, you know, they're, they're privately owned, and they're, they're staffed by entrepreneurs, and they're staffed by, you know, Joe Publix, and, you know, they're trying to make an honest living out of what their passion is, you know, and that I super commend, um, because it's a grueling task, it's, you know, especially in our industry. Um, and what what I've realized is like a lot of customers and a lot of people in the community don't realize that the gun industry on the one hand, it's like any other retail location, but on the other hand, the infrastructure surrounding and serving that 
industry is completely different. And by that, I mean, shipping companies aren't friendly, you know? So if I'm Amazon and I ship you a package and it gets broken or it gets destroyed, no problem, insurance covers me. The shipping companies and the insurance companies don't work like that with firearms. Firearms are irreplaceable. So a dealer eats that cost and then he sends you out the gun that supposedly never made it or didn't make it or got damaged. You know, um, the banks have been difficult in, in the past to deal with. The web hosts and the websites have been difficult to deal with. So COVID has kind of skewed my time frame for everything. But maybe two, three years ago, um, Shopify removed all firearm sales. Um, I don't know if it was a global initiative, but it was at least in Canada. And that left a lot of retailers like scrambling to, to migrate their website. And if you've ever run a website that has a lot of inventory, it's a, it's a grueling task. It's, it's horrible, right? It's like finding a new barber or a new dentist. Um, so the gun industry exists in this world that is really not conductive to supporting them as a professional business, you know? At the end of the day, you know, with fishing, we're $8 billion a year. You know, that's not chump change. That's not nothing. And unfortunately, to own a gun store means you've, you've put a ton um, on the line in terms of your inventory, but you've also exposed yourself to a ton of risk because we don't have the safety nets that, you know, Best Buy or Gap or Amazon really enjoy. So when that product goes missing and you're pissed off that you didn't get your order, understandably, but, you know, maybe understand that to replace that that dealer is kind of eating the cost and that not that that's a customer's fault or that they really need to augment it but a little bit of understanding goes a long way if i'm the guy listening to you irate on the phone say well you know should have shipped a week ago where the hell is it kind of thing you know and like i said go to google you'll find the reviews on people who didn't get my, my best days <laughs> they're really um, that irate and they need the handgun I, this fucking tuesday Maybe there are gun Karens and there's gun Kevins, you know, just the same way there's yoga Karens <laughs> and, and yoga Kevins. It doesn't matter what you sell. If you interact with the public at large, there's going to be issues. Right. And it's uh, and not to say that the customer has to has to eat whatever problem. But what I find a lot of people don't understand is that our industry is unique in a lot of ways. And one of those ways is crucial in that we don't have the support, you know? Another big way, you know, and recently was a, a Facebook thread that I just waded into like an absolute monster and was just <laughs> kicking customers away. Um, and and it, was, it was defending Tenda um, because they have a policy and a lot of stores have had to adopt this in regards to high-end product and high-end optics that aren't PAL um, required they've become targets for fraud. You know, the fraudsters have found the gun industry. And, you know, I know at FOC, there was a week before we became hit to it that we lost a lot of money. And the credit card companies aren't gonna help me when I'm hit with fraud. The insurance companies aren't gonna help me when I get hit with fraud. Basically, all I'm doing is turning my, my pockets out and pouring money out into the world. And, you know, we had to get savvy real quick. So a lot of gun stores now have this. and. Yes, it is not a requirement to have a pal to buy a loophole or whatever expensive optics out there, Vortex. Um, but stores have had to put this pal notification on to be able to combat um, fraud. And some people, you know, because again, going back to what I was saying, what firearms ownership means to them, they see it as an infringement on their privacy or they see it as an infringement on them 
you know, a breach of something and it, and it makes people irate, you know, and I, I kind of, again, the ability to go on there and say, listen, guys, this is why this is a situation and this is why this is a policy. And, you know, it would really help your local gun store if you were just agreeable. Like, again, this is just my personal opinion, but if I'm going to order off your website and I'm going to give you my name, my address, my credit card number, you know, the PAL number doesn't really give you like in reality, this is also something I've found is the PAL, like when a gun store checks your PAL, they don't see in your gun safe. They don't see a list of what's registered to you. They see the exact information that you supply when you submit an online order. They see your phone number, your address, whether your PAL is valid and the classification of, of license you have. Non, uh, restricted, non-restricted, that's it. That's it. You know? Prohibited. Prohibited for the Prohibited. real phones. Yeah. <laughs> but that's usually bought from Manitoba calling, eh? <laughs> oh, he's yeah. He's looking for some rounds for his Mosin. And he's got a great gold cup that he wants to tell you all about. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's an awesome community, you know, and like I, by community now I'm talking about the people, the customer base, the people who are at the ranges and shooting. You know, I've been to a lot of courses, competitions, gun shows. And I meet amazing people, you know, and obviously, unfortunately, there is a segment of the population that regardless of what their interest is, they're scumbags and they do scumbaggy things. But overwhelmingly, like, you know, I've been in the industry 10 years, you know, I'd, I'd like to think there's no, I don't have any bad blood out there. Everyone, um, you know, now that I'm kind of at a, a unique level in terms of Canada, because there's maybe four or five people who are actually operating as a manufacturer's rep from a company that is foreign to Canada. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of leaning on the guys who are a little bit longer in the tooth and who've been in the game longer. And, you know, Gilles, who's the Mossberg rep, and Jim Castles, who's the sales manager for Glock Canada. You know, these are guys that I've sort of worked with throughout my entire industry, but they're also community members that I can call up when now that I'm facing unique situations that I haven't experienced before at this level at a, as a manufacturer's rep, you know, they're, they're kind of helping me along down the road and, and really giving me some good advice and some good insight. And, you know, that's, it's, it has to be going that each one teach one mentality in our community from, you know, from the professional level in the industry, you know, with the big stores and the little stores and helping guys out from, you know, the, the top tier shooters to the people just getting into it. And, and that's what I like to see in, you know, like, Mind you, the, the format of a podcast kind of appeals to a younger generation, but more and more the guys behind the counter are a newer generation. The girls behind the counter are a newer generation. Um, they're breaking a lot of the sort of conventional stereotypes held about our community. And uh, they're just adding a new flavor and a, a new uh, injection of enthusiasm, you know, because again, when I entered the, the industry, the first thing that was hammered into my head is like, buddy you better enjoy them now while you got them because the government's coming to take them you know and it's you know and i kind of lived in this constant state of fear like the sky is falling the sky is falling and although history has kind of proven those old timers right in that advice it has made shooting and becoming a community member more difficult and that's why it's so important that we get these young fresh people in who are like super excited and they don't have to be young i should stop saying that because a lot of my customers just getting into shooting are 40 50 60 70 years old um when i got into the industry 10 years ago my uh, father followed me into getting his pal he joined the club that i belong to and like you know as our life or at least my life gets busier and busier his gets easier and easier um 
you know, it's something that we can set aside time and like do father and son stuff together, you know, and it's an easy way for us to kind of connect, which is oh, kind of awesome. You know, well, it's, it's, that's hilarious because it's the same thing as me and my mom. Yeah. It's awesome. Like, yeah. Well, you can, you can always find somebody to, I don't know, share, share a shooting passion with, you know? Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, like who, who doesn't need that release? You know, like real, like how many new people have you taken shooting? They're just like, God damn, I feel better. And I don't exactly know why, but I feel better, you know, because it's that, that little bit of adrenaline dump, that little bit of like, Ooh, we're going for a ride. And it's, it's, it's an amazing experience. And I love like being on the range. That was like my favorite thing, you know, especially taking someone who was like super hesitant or super fearful and, you know, just getting to be like, all right, one round, one hand, we're doing this. And they'd look at you like, oh my God, this is going to be insane. And I always have a bit of gallows humor and I'm like, you know what? Don't worry. You're not going to get it disfigured. Like the girl I had on the range last time, you're going to be fine. You're not going to be disfigured. I got to do um, uh, CCFR Ladies Day down at Select Shooting about two months ago. It was amazing, man. Like, it reminded me again why I love this community so much. It was like all women, none of them had ever shot. Every single one of them had an amazing time. Um, all the other RSOs um, were just great shit. And they weren't professional RSOs in the, in the sense that they were employed by select shooting. They were just community members who volunteered their time, who are interested in developing their own skills and, um, you know, finding a way deeper into the industry. And it's like, you know, I made a bunch of new friends. It ended up getting me invited out for a bear hunt. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just amazing how a little bit of positive attitude and a little bit of openness creates incredible opportunities and you just might meet that person like trap jesus might you know come and bless you and keep teach you some of the <laughs> skills or you know a buddy might take pity on you and put you on uh, your first big game animal which you know again at, you know after 20 years of doing it doesn't seem like a big deal but you still remember like these are these are the experiences that life like really offers you like you know going to the range and blasting rounds and training and practicing is awesome but you know teaching someone how to shoot properly and giving them the tools to progress or introducing something to a passion of yours. Like it's a different experience than just going to the gym or just going to the range to, you know, work your cadence or work transitions or whatever you're doing. It's amazing. This one's Absolutely. For, this episode is for trap Jesus, wherever he is. <laughs> it was uh, Oshawa trap and ski club old timer there. Look for the flip flops, buy him breakfast after, yep. and he'll take you out for a round. God bless. God blast, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't as good as my pirate pun. But it's still pretty good. Yeah. So to wrap all of that up, after the distributor level, I uh, kept climbing because my my goal getting into the industry is one day to work directly for the manufacturer. And you know, and if you work hard and if you undermine enough people and <laughs> step on enough throats in this cutthroat industry, you'll you'll get to the top one you have to have Nothing. an uncrushable that's, spirit that's, that's for sure that's, yeah, that's the moral of the story hey eh? burn as many bridges as you can you know what i i used to watch i don't know if you're an arnold schwarzenegger fan but conan the destroyer you know the the greatest thing in life is to see your enemies driven before you and hear the lamentations of their women what what more <laughs> could, could we ask for right? <laughs> but uh no 
like going back to your question, there's, there's a ton of opportunity out there. And although it seems kind of like a closed community um, and it seems like, you know, it's one of those industries where people think you need to know absolutely everything there is about guns. I'll let you know, you know, as a manager, I'm not looking for your knowledge on guns. You know, obviously that's an asset, but, you know, I need hard workers. You know, I need people who are trustworthy. I need people that have enough uh, common sense and awareness to keep an eye on that front door to see who's coming in my store, right? And someone that I know of that I can, you know, back at Target Sports, our, our emergency word was no duff, that if I yell out no duff, that someone's gonna understand what I'm saying and, and, and give me some assistance, right? So don't let your experience level or your proficiency level or your, your ability to shoot or how many bucks you've smashed. If you wanna get into the industry, there are, we're always looking for good people. It's all, all about attitude, eh? It's 150% attitude. It is the one thing, like as a, as a manager, it is the one thing that I cannot give you. I can encourage you. I can, I can motivate you. I can give you skills. I can give you knowledge. But unless you have that, that get off your ass and go, you know, you're probably looking for a job because you don't have one right now or you have like darn our shitty job. But that's that's all on you then i don't i don't feel i don't have sympathy for people who aren't willing to put the work in you know and you know depending on what your your leadership style like you know when i was retail manager that doesn't mean that i don't sweep it doesn't mean i don't empty garbages it doesn't mean i don't sell guns and help customers and help my guys unload skids you know but that's it's like any any goal in life if you're not willing to work at it i don't care how much you could be god's gift to guns and unless you can talk to someone in a polite fashion and, and you can get off your high horse to scrub toilets if needed or do the, the menial tasks of the gun world. Like when we were first at FOC, we didn't have a loading dock. I was the load, like I was the, you know, so a skid would get dropped <laughs> off in the parking lot and all right, boys, you know, sleeves up, we're, we're humping all of this. How about her? How about it, right? And you know, like oh, yeah. these were the times where customers would be in the store and they'd see us busting our butt and they'd see the sweat rolling. And you know what? They would jump in and, and start throwing cases with us. You know, and these were the people that would go on to volunteer at our events. And these were the people that, like, I can't tell you how many customers we hired. Almost exclusively, it was customers we hired. A, because they were around all the time, anyways. And B, they generally had a good knowledge set. And you know, I've had guys leave becoming like what I call like real jobs, which is somewhat demeaning for my own industry, but the gun industry is unique in that sense. But you know, they've locked being, you know, an electrician, being law enforcement, jobs where you make considerable, considerable amounts of money um, to do this because they, they just absolutely love firearms. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a passion industry, right? It it's is. Something, it's it is. something you do because you fucking love it, not because you want to make fucking a coin. Right. Well, that's it. You know, like if you talk to the dealers, like, you know, not to ruin anyone's fantasy, but if you think dealers are making five, six hundred dollars off of a gun that they sell for a thousand, we're not, you know, this isn't T-shirts. This isn't fast food. The margins in this industry um, are, are piss poor to be poetic about it, you know. So, you know, just. I guess I always feel a little bit sensitive because I was the guy out the counter getting yelled at and I have dealt with so much stuff and it, you know, it, it's, you have to remind yourself of all the amazing customers and the friends you get, you know, like I've had customers come in and one of our customers, um, I used to call him uncle Hernan, his name was Hernan, but he was in all the time. So I'm like, 
you're my uncle now, Uncle Hernan. You're in all the time, goddammit. Um, but he actually brought like a propane stove and he cooked paella for us. He was a, a Colombian dude. And unfortunately, I heard from the guys over at FOC that he like passed away over COVID, which was super sad. And um, but you know, these are these are the kind of awesome people you really have a chance to meet. I mean, you know, Hernan wasn't the greatest shooter. Um, but he was just a super nice guy and he was super friendly and, you know, he and I used to kill ourselves laughing at the counter and, you know, it's, it's sorry to see him go, but, you know, you don't get that when you go into, you know, one of the big box stores generally, you don't get that when you go and shop for tires, usually, you know, there's not many people who are sort of outside of a passion industry like cycling or like sporting that you really get someone who's super enthusiastic about what it is they're selling and, and what it is they're telling you you know and all in saying saying that always take the take take what you hear with a grain of salt because the counter guys they can get squirrely <laughs> they can get one. i've said wild things bj said wild things anyone who works at a gun store like because it's there's so many Hey, there's so many old wives tales that you like grow up with you know what i mean as you come and then like things techniques advance you know and but i just i love the stereotypes in the community and i love the stereotypes <laughs> i love my old guys who only shoot 45 colts and, you know if it wasn't made in the 70s everything else is garbage i love my new school surplus guys even even my sks shoppers which are a special breed of customers you know, I, I love those guys as well. Um, you know, more so than I'm not dealing with them every day. But you know, it's just it's a wild industry. And if you're get, looking to get into it, man, oh, you've got a lot of fun ahead of you. And uh, it's it's not as hard as it seems. Walk into your local gun store, send an email. Um, you know, people are hurting for for finding really good people. I know um, a couple stores actually have asked me. If I could recommend anyone good to them from anything from store managers to range officers to counter guys and gals. So the opportunity, awesome. is there. you know, you could be like me. If you slave for 10 years, you could be a manufacturer's rep, one of only five or six reps. <laughs> There's no benefits. There's no perks. Oh. You do get a free t-shirt. Well, you, you got to get better and better discounts on guns. The, the more you work your way up there. That's funny. <laughs> I don't want to say retail. Honestly, I bought a gun off retail recently. It, it hurt. It hurt. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it at all. But uh, I bought a Ruger PC9 because I have an FX9 right now. Obviously, when the ARs went dead, I wanted something that was similar. I like the FX9, but I've always kind of gone between the PC9 and I've never really had a chance to kind of do a side to side. So. One Have came you up at, yet? Uh, at Bullseye. No, one came up at Bullseye London, and I just snapped it up. I didn't. I didn't want to do the. You, you, you know who I am. You know who I am. Damn it! <laughs> no, I just what grabbed like, one. I gotta this? find an optic, but uh, I'm excited to go shoot that thing. It's a lot of fun. Well, I gotta go down there. Um, so if any of your listeners are gonna be at Bullseye uh, London in the next week or so, you know. You want to take I'm me with you? Into a, a real life manufacturer's rep, and I can uh, tell you all about CZ sales features and our new rifles, which did launch today. Today was the global launch of the 600 series rifles. As Mike was saying, uh, it's replaced all the 500 series rifles. So the 5.57 and 5.52 are no longer in production. And now we have five models of the CZ 600. A uh, little something for everybody, uh, chamberings for everybody. And um, uh, I'm really excited. Those should be landing in Canada 
in the new year, early new year. And I hope to have samples a little bit before that. So maybe when I get some, I can come back on and Vanna White them for you. you right. is, youngster? No clue, but uh, the the hand motion said it all. <laughs> all right, so you got some Google homework. Pokeroo and Vanna White. Right? What's some other, what's yeah, some other references? Yeah, got to get caught up with the old folks. Fuck. Have you ever seen The Breakfast Club, that movie? Never. Oh, God. Kids these what days. Is... Kids these days. <laughs> I'm, a nine, I'm a 90s kid. So get this 80s and 70s shit out of here. 80s was the last real generation of human beings. Okay? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what we say. In... <laughs> Is that an official CZ Canada statement? That's not an official CZ position. We do have preference for the 80s babies, though. You know? <laughs> we had the old school gaming system. You know, like me, I'm not a gamer. My last gaming system was legit Nintendo Entertainment System. You know, I had four, four directions in A and B. That, that's as high speed as I get in terms of technology. Teaches you a lot about duck hunting. No, it's surprisingly misleading. <laughs> Way better at, at Nintendo duck hunting. And actually, we still have our system. The damn near 30 years old. Man. That's that's older than you, man. I got a Nintendo that's older than you, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, like like I was saying, it's, you know, it's good to see younger generations come in and it's good to see you know the hunting has seen a huge resurgence of new people getting into it and not just you know not just people who's have family ties to hunting people have no ties like myself like nobody in my family hunts oh me um, me me too and that's that's the key right if you if you don't get into the folks that have an interest but don't have those familial ties and the the ease to go try it out then you you won't expand the sport or the industry right no and, and and like i was saying you know i was i was at the ccfr ladies day at the at select shooting and i you know we went out for full bite to eat after and i was sitting at the table and we top of the hunting came up and i was lamenting that i don't have any access to huntable land and i don't know anyone to kind of show me the ropes and i'm a, I'm a super greenhorn and um jamie from the canadian sports women's society said well shit, you know we're organizing a men's hunting weekend because we get so many requests like obviously their focus is on women in the hunting community and introducing women but she's had so many requests for people exactly like me that are dying to get out there into the woods um and hunt but just have nowhere to do it and and not a lot of practical field knowledge about how to do it and so you know she invited me and i i went up and unfortunately i wasn't successful but i learned a ton i met a lot of cool people who were also in the hunt camp um there was a young guy there it was his first time ever hunting he shot a bear i hate him i'll never speak to him again uh, but you know up until that point he was a really nice guy you know and we spent a day and a half yucking it up and then he shot a bear and i can't stand the sight of him but um you know it, it's again with with that openness and that that eagerness you know, people who are more knowledgeable, we do have somewhat of a of an obligation. And, you know, the same way people are taking me out hunting, I've taken people out shooting, you know, and my, I was saying my, my friend who is a social worker, and unfortunately, his only experience of firearms is, is the criminal aspect of his clients, realistically, because he works with the youth justice. 
Um, and his perception of guns is, is murder machines, right? And and the entire time that we I brought the idea up, you know, it was all about murder and it was all about killing and it was all about this. And then I took him out and he was terrible and it clicked into his head like, oh man, there's, you know, because he started getting into it, right? And then you want to get better. And so he starts asking me questions and I start, you know, okay, stand like this, hold like this, because I don't like to give people too much information beyond the safety stuff, you know, a general idea. This is how you hold it. This is how you stand. This is blah, 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 blah. We all know. Um, and he was just super into it. And, and that's where like all of the negative aspects of shooting came. He had like a really great time because he was exposed to the skill of shooting and the skill and the practice of shooting beyond, you know, what his clients may use it for in their day-to-day -day lives. And like it was a progression like he came over and like he's known some firearm whatever since i've you know he's been my friend forever and it's i don't hide it from him and you know uh, at one of our hangouts i was just like because we were talking about guns and oh they're so bad this and that and this and that and they need to ban them and they need to ban them and it's have you ever seen a gun you want to see one like you want to hold a gun and see what it actually feels like and stuff and i went up and i got him a pistol and i showed him like this is how we show it's safe and you know don't worry there's no ammunition around we're not insane you know it's not about what your experience is you know that is a slice of it but that's not the totality of, of what firearms is and that's why i was saying it is so unique um there's a really interesting book if your readers or, or your your listeners are interested in it's uh i forget the title of it but it's basically on the history of the ak um, but it's from a sociological perspective, you know, and it talks about not only the history of the AK-47, which again is an iconic firearm, it's probably one firearm that silhouette is internationally known, whether you've ever handled a gun or not. Um, and how, sorry? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, right. Like everyone knows what the silhouette of an AK looks like with big banana mag. Um, and they talk about, you know, countries that have the AK on the flag as a sign of liberation and countries that have outright bans because, you know, they've they've um, been abused by them or it has been the the instrument of their of their torture for for years and years and years. And how, you know, as you travel across the globe, this one gun means so many different things to so many people. And, you know, from an American perspective, you know, they've been fighting AK-47s ever since they were developed. Right. Uh, and at the same time, appreciating them and looking at, you know, Vietnam War, where GIs were ditching their rifles to pick up the AKs because of their reliability and, you know, certain issues that arose out of that because it has a very, in this case, distinct sound. As BJ knows, the chugga, 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 chugga of an AK-47 is, is unique in itself. Honestly, one of the awesomest guns to fire. Um, probably closest to the SKS, so everyone who, who craps on the SKS about it being a terrible gun, I resent that comment, and uh, the SKS is an awesome, awesome gun, very close to shooting an a AK, but sorry, um, you know, how it, it caused issues because um, soldiers would, would hear the fire and they would think it would be enemy combatants, and they would in turn fire upon the sound, in which case it was actually friendly fire because guys were picking up the AKs, because the M16s were just getting killed by the mud and the muck and the mire. But that's, that's fascinating. Never that's the that one before. historical tip I have. Other than that, I'm complete ignorance. It's just fresh out, eh? Just fresh out. Lugers were used <laughs> in the Second World War. There's long ones and short ones. Yeah, there you go. Two two facts for the night. Two factoids. But.
Alrighty. Yeah. Well, we're at an hour and forty-five. That's that's my. Yeah, I think Adam sort of you made a mistake in forty-five me. minutes ago. <laughs> BJ promised me it was going to be forty-five minutes, and then you put a mic in front of me, and I prattle on, and uh, oh, it's, it's it's great. It's what the calls want to hear. <laughs> I don't know if it's great, but it's it's something, and it's an hour and forty-five <laughs> minutes of it. You're definitely something, Adam. It's definitely something. But, All right, uh, last last words. What do you got to say, Adam? Uh, where 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 we're gonna where be off for another hour? <laughs> yeah, where 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 can we find you? First of all, you can't. No need. Get 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 in touch with uh, if you <laughs> if you have any problems with CZ, get in touch with your local gun store. They know how to get a hold of me. Um, otherwise, if you have a warranty issue, you'll you'll find me. But no, my my big word of advice is make sure you teach someone further down the line than you are, or further behind the line than you are. Um, get out and support your local gun store. Support your organizations. Donate your time. Donate your money. Support them with your dollars. Um, and just remember that behind whatever issue you encounter in the industry as a consumer there's a human being on the other end and you know cut them a little bit of slack unless they're being an asshole and then by all means flame them on and i support you but uh yeah create opportunities for for people to get into it otherwise we're not going to have an industry right and that's that's my big takeaway absolutely i'm gonna well look said. up a way to to leave Adam a negative review and start <laughs> direct to CC headquarters. Yeah, exactly. yeah, Maybe I need this, to learn Czech. Who knows? Worst case, yeah. you can always call Google back Translate. Listen, I will accompany you to the Czech Republic. Um, 100%. But actually, you know, like in my role, like I am looking for ways to, you know, so if some of your listeners, they, they are club members, they are organization members. You know, if you've got a charity, a fundraiser, you know, I'm sure you can direct them my way. I'm looking to support the industry. I'm looking to support notable people who are actually creating opportunities for other shooters in the industry. And and I feel like that's kind of my what I owe the people who have taught me in the industry. And I know Ben can attest my my first manager at Target Sports. His name was Paul. I uh, became a dear, dear friend of mine who passed away a number of years after we met. Um, but I called him when I heard the job was always actually kind of a funny story for me. I called and I demanded a job, um, which I don't recommend for most people who aren't me, but um, I was doing a security bid for two weeks and I couldn't get there in time. And I just called him every uh, couple of days to let him know that I'm the guy that you're going to hire and uh, keep that, keep that job open for me. And I'll see you in two weeks. And, you know, I guess I got through and he, he actually gave me an opportunity, you know, and beyond all the, the prattling on, he, he kind of, got me into the industry and he he became a like I said a really close friend and mentor and um I always look at my career as kind of like I owe him to to create these opportunities for other people as well you know and I owe him like he always was like a stand-up honest and, and super super caring guy and that's kind of what I try to do in in my business and my professional life and uh yeah if you if you really have, a, have an issue or you got a question about CZ you know, reach a check at CZ Canada. Leave me a message there. They'll they'll fire it on to me. I don't handle the the social media because I'm a yeah, '80s baby dinosaur, so I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but uh, you can get a hold of me, and like I said, my my finishing words, and I'll shut up. Is is create opportunities for for new shooters, uh, or I'll or I will find you. I have a unique skill set, <laughs> and Ben will film it. 
and, and then we'll put it on the podcast and publicly shame you. Oh, beautiful. No, we appreciate you, Adam, and everything you do. And uh, this has been a really good time. It's, uh, it's nice to catch up. Ah, I paid him to say that. And actually, um, not enough. I, I, I will admit something. When Ben was on the, the podcast last, he reached out to me and he asked me if I would join him. And it was last minute and it was late. And I said no because I'm a shitty friend. And then. But an expert shooter, so it's okay. Yeah. And then, uh, expert shooter, I taught you everything you know. Um, and then even, you asked even me about I turned around and asked Ben and, and he was the better of the friends and he, he came on and supported me. So you know, there ben, you go. Personal friend, someone I met through the gun world. Have, have, have you taught him everything, you know, in terms of your skincare routine? No, please. please. Oh, <laughs> some things are personal. God damn it. Wow. Wow. I keep trying, but he, he just, he won't unlock the beard secrets for me. I'm working on him. <laughs> yeah, I, I need I need a little bit too. Actually, I'm this, I'm pretty clear up. I had a conversation with the new barber and uh, cut me cut me down pretty drastically. But beard growing is my shooting beard growing. These are my only two uses in life. <laughs> accurate, accurate. But uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I'll let you go because I. I'm sorry, Ben. I've doubled this on you. I, I don't mean apologize. to. I love you, man. I, I love you, you man. Time. I wanted yeah. to keep it to 45 minutes an hour, but uh, yeah. No, no, it's, no it's been it's been a slice. So, big big thanks to our sponsors as always: Cabela's, uh, Savage, Beretta, and our friends there at Vortex Canada. So yeah, without them, uh, we wouldn't be able to provide the same quality of programming to CUSF students across the country. So uh, cheers and thanks again for the support. So yeah, awesome. Appreciate your guys' time. Appreciate you guys coming on. And yeah, until next time, we'll do another uh, hour and 50. Yeah, well, I was yeah. going to say, call me the next time you want to break like a Guinness World Record for like longest podcast or... You know, if you want to raise money and you got to fill like 10 hours of airtime, I'll, I'll come talk about nothing for a while. Yeah. Perfect. Well, we'll shoot for six hours next time then, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when I'm out your way, man, I'm going to look you up and you're going to take me hunting and I'll, I'll buy you a beer or whatever soft drink you like. Oh, fuck um, off. The, I'll tell you, about the fucking, tell you about the fucking cougar this weekend. I don't want to hear about your sex life. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Uh, I guess I don't know how to sign off on here. There's probably a button. That yeah. Beautiful. Out. Right on. Have a good one, boys. That was great. Ciao. Cheers. See you guys. Thank you again for tuning in. We meet again on the next podcast.